Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He's God who loved you so much, who loved me so much that he says, you know what? We're going to go on a rescue mission. They already had it planned out before we even existed. So we're going to go on a rescue mission. We're going to die for these people who are so rebellious, even the ones who absolutely despise everything that the gospel is about. We're going to die for them. We're going to die for them. In all our stories, the heroes never die for the villain. Never. But in Christianity, that's what makes it distinct. The hero, Jesus, died for us, the villains, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a countless number of superheroes for kids and adults to look up to, but none of them come close to Jesus. Think about the life that Jesus lived for the sole purpose of dying for our sins. Pastor James mentions that never in a superhero story does the hero die willingly to save the villain. Yet Christ gave his life that we may find ours with God. What an amazing gift. Today, don't just be thankful for the renewed life that you have in Jesus, but be a superhero to someone in need. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 9, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. the Church of America is missing out on? Because you know Jesus doesn't stop moving. You know that Jesus is never inactive. You know he's constantly on the go. You know his eyes are searching to and fro, looking for people that he could just use, who are available to him. I think he has plans. He does have plans. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us he knows the plans that he has for us. But I wonder if we're asleep. I wonder if we're snoozing on Jesus. I wonder how many plans I've missed out on personally because I'm just too drowsy. We've got to wake up. And see, Mark doesn't really include the fact that they were sleeping, but we do have Matthew's account, and we have Luke's account, and they both say, yeah, these guys, these guys dozed off. And how sad would it have been if they missed that entire moment? Praise God they woke up when they did, but I wonder what conversations they missed out on as Jesus is there talking to Elijah the prophet who never died. You can go back into 1 Kings and you read all about him. He's an amazing, amazing prophet, incredible prophet, um, was, was taken up. He was raptured, kind of, like in a chariot of fire up to heaven, like never died, never experienced death. Why? Well, because he's going to come back. And Jesus is going to talk about that in a second too. Then you got Moses, who did die. He did die. And these two dudes are talking to Jesus and you're sleeping. I wonder what they missed out on as these guys are talking. We do know as far as some of the conversation and what that centered around. And Jesus probably let his guys know, hey, while you guys were sawing logs, this is kind of what we talked about. But they missed out on a part of it. And how terrible would it have been if they just would have got so comfortable that they slept the whole time? There's a word of caution there for us as believers. Don't get so comfortable where you just fall asleep on Jesus and you miss out. Because he's always looking for willing vessels. And the reality of that is, if I'm not a vessel that has made itself available to be used, he will find another vessel to use. And that goes completely countercultural to the world we live in today, where everybody should get some sort of participation trophy. That's not how it works in the kingdom. And I'm sorry, but that's not how it goes. And I appreciate that. I like that. 
Because I realize that there are times where I probably have missed out on opportunities. But you know what that does for me? That wakes me up to say, man, Lord, I don't want to miss out on another one. I don't want a participation trophy. I don't want that. I hate that. When I played basketball at high school, I hated that they let everybody have time. They can't play. I don't know how they made it on the team. They shouldn't have the... I'm not the best. I get it. But I know I can score some buckets. They can't even dribble. Why are they here? Why are, they, why are you subbing us out to put them in? Well, that's the rule. And I get it. I mean, you want to give everybody a chance. I'm not trying to be mean. But I do know that there's this reality to following Jesus where it's like, you should just be ready. And if I'm not ready, he'll find somebody who is ready. And we should be totally fine with that. What? We're like, no, no, Jesus, give me, you know, just you're, that's mean, Jesus. Right? And he's like, well, you have my word. Stay ready. Stay ready. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, right? They're on the mountaintop. These guys are waking up, as we know from the other gospel accounts. Jesus and Elijah and Moses. I mean, it even says here that in verse 4 of Mark's gospel, it says, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began to talk with Jesus. And I believe it's in Luke's account where he says that it's Elijah and Moses begin to speak to Jesus about his exodus. And that's the word they use his death and his resurrection, which the term they use there is his own exodus. A greater than Moses is who Jesus is. And he is leading his own exodus, slaves and captives to be set free, transitioning into a promised land. And this is not the promised land. This is not it, right? You're not experiencing heaven on earth. I mean, this like we were just joking about that. Like, if this is heaven, like the heaven has come, then I got questions. Jesus, I got some, I don't see that in your word. Like, no, because heaven's not here yet. New heaven, new earth, those things are coming. But they're talking to Jesus about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. These two guys, just guys, there's nothing special about these men. Well, Elijah never died, so that's kind of special, right? That's kind of cool. But beyond that, he's just a normal person. And they're there in the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for these Old Testament prophets? They had seen it, you know, and prophetically and all that good stuff. They were awaiting that day. And now here they are in the presence of Jesus. And all they want to do is they just want to talk to him. They want to talk to him about the things his disciples don't want to talk to him about, him dying, him being buried, and him raising from the dead. See, when he talked to his disciples about that, Peter's like, please stop talking about this. But when Moses and Elijah show up, that's all they want to talk about. That's all they want to talk about because they got it. They knew who they were talking with. And so as they're talking, they're having a conversation. Here's our buddy Peter, right? Just, oh, he's the best. I'm so glad the Bible included Peter within the scriptures because he's one of the most relatable guys I've ever known, right? Like, he's just one of those things where it's like, are you thinking before you started talking, like, is your processor, is it like our computer? Is it kind of like slow? Is it glitching sometimes where, you know, you're not thinking of the next step? Like that frontal lobe thing never developed for Peter, I guess. Or maybe it did over time. But here's Peter rubbing sleep out of his eyes, realizing, holy cow, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Question I have, how do you know it's Moses and Elijah? We had their baseball cards. No, there's no, there's no pictures there's no pictures. Well, it's like somebody drew a character, right? Like on the boardwalk or something of Moses. No, there's, how do you know? I like that because there's a hint that 
when you get to heaven, the presence of Jesus, and I'm going to say new heaven, new earth, all that good stuff, and this is the best thing ever, you won't have to remember anybody's name. And praise God for that, because I'm the worst at that. Like, there's no name tags, no nothing. It seems as though you will know everyone there. That's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. And what's also cool about that is Peter, the other two disciples, identify them as that's Moses, the Moses, the prophet Moses, who the deliverer, and that's Elijah, the prophet. Like, they know them. They know of their earthly stories. So I wonder if heaven is like this, where you're up in heaven, and it's not like your brain gets white, you know, and you're like, I don't know anybody. I don't know your story at all. I wonder if you're up there and you see Moses and you see Elijah and you're like, Moses, dude, tell me about Exodus. Elijah on Mount Carmel, tell me about that moment where you called down fire from heaven and all those priests of Baal, and you were giving them a hard time saying that their God must be in the bathroom. That's why he's not answering you. Like, Elijah, you're classic, man. I want to talk to you more about that. And these types of references kind of frame out some cool little pictures for us that maybe, just maybe, heaven will be like that. So your loved ones, your dear loved ones, they'll still be your loved ones in heaven. Now, we know there's no marrying in heaven or those given to marriage and all that good stuff, and that's fine. I think heaven's going to be far greater than what we can comprehend and what those dynamics of relationships will be like once we're there. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. When I, when I get to heaven, I won't be disappointed for being wrong, okay? I'm just, I know that. But I kind of think when I go to heaven, my wife, I think I'll still know Nellie. That's, well, she was my wife. She's my wife. And my pastor, Pastor Bill from Amarillo, always says, he's like, I'm still going to be chasing around Cindy. That's his wife. He's like, I'm still going to be chasing around in heaven. He's like, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm, that's, my, that's my plan, right? My kids, they were my kids here. They were gifts from God here. And that's, so I, look, I could get up to heaven and none of that could be true. But you know what? I won't be disappointed because I'm in the presence of Jesus. And there's nothing better than that, okay? So I like looking through these and that kind of encourages me that makes heaven just like, man, that's so sweet. What an amazing time that's going to be. Peter exclaims, I think it's Matthew's gospel. It could have been, it's probably Luke's, where they're wrapping up their conversation. They're still talking, but Moses and Elijah are getting ready to leave. And Peter, not knowing what to do, just is like, I should say something. And the other guy should have been like, dude, don't say anything. Don't. They should have seen the look in his eyes. And be like, oh, he's going to say something. Tackle him, right? Like, they didn't. Peter exclaims, Rabbi, teacher, it's wonderful for us to be here. Yes, good. That's right. Good start. However, you are interrupting two prophets and Jesus talking, right? Like, just listen. Let's make three shelters or tabernacles, okay? Same word, as memorials. And the other gospel, it's Matthew's gospel, where Peter actually says, hey, let me make three tabernacles. It's like, so James and John are like, dude, like, okay, you shouldn't be talking about why you, what about us? Like three tabernacles, there's three of us. But Peter's like, let us build you monuments. One for Elijah, one for Moses and one for you, Jesus. And that sounds like a good idea, but it's actually a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Number one, it's somewhat of this idea of like, let's never leave this mountain. Let's set up residency on the mountaintop. You know this practically that no fruit grows on mountaintops. Fruit grows in the valley. 
You can't live on a mountaintop, spiritually speaking. We all want to live there. We all want to stay there. We know what that feels like, I think, in times in our walks with Jesus, where Jesus shows up, and, and you just experience one of the most amazing things ever. And you're like, I never want to leave this place. And I get that. I understand that. But practically speaking, you have to leave that place. You have to go down the mountain. Because in the valley, people are dying. Because in the valley, people didn't have that experience you had. Take it down the mountain with you and share it with other people. Fruit grows down there, but it's dark, scary sometimes. Absolutely. And Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be the good shepherd who leads you through those valleys of the shadow of death. But we cannot stay on the mountaintop. We cannot stay on the mountaintop. It is unrealistic. And I get it. Like We crave those mountaintop experiences. But I think sometimes it's, like, it's that saying of being so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. It's like you live here, down here. You live down here in the trenches. Sow some seeds. Sow some seeds. Get the gospel out there. Be like that farmer scattering seed anywhere and everywhere so that fruit can grow. Because that's why you're here. You're connected to the vine as a branch to bear fruit, to bear fruit. And praise God for mountaintop experiences. I hope you've experienced something like this. I hope that it energizes you. I hope that's enough to kind of like here to keep you going because you have to finish, but we can't live up there. The other thing that's wrong with this is Peter is, in one sense, he's saying, let's build three tabernacles for each of you, but he's placing Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, and that is wrong because he's not on the same level. They don't deserve tabernacles next to Jesus. If God himself didn't interrupt Peter in this moment, I promise you, Moses and Elijah would have had something to say to Peter. They'd be like, dude, like... This is the guy, right? You were telling us about this guy, right? Like, stop talking. Stop talking. There's a time to talk, and there's a time just to sit and listen. Peter's like, ah. And I love the other gospel accounts because they're like, he didn't know what to do. And so he just started talking. And how much trouble have you gotten in when you didn't know what to do? So you just start talking, right? And you're like, oh, what? I just, I said too much. You're like, yeah, just pull back a little bit, take in the sights, take in the sounds, Peter exclaims, it's so good for us to be here. I'm going to build you guys some tabernacles. And as he's talking, boasting about what he can do for Jesus and Moses and Elijah, God interrupts him. God the Father interrupts him. This is a crazy scene because you got Jesus, then God the Father shows up in like a cloud, and then there's Moses who's dead, but he's there. And then there's Elijah who never died, but then he's there. And then you got three disciples who have no idea what's going on. They no clue what's going on. Verse 6, it says, he said this, just to bring some clarity to that. Peter said this because he didn't really know what else to say. <laughs> For they were all terrifying, right? He's like, he's kind of scared. He doesn't know what to do. But all Peter, his like natural reaction is say something, say something, say something. And you're like, no, Peter, just pull back on that. What I do appreciate about Peter is that he revisits this story later on. And we'll close out with that reference there. But let's see what God the Father has to say. It says, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, as Peter is talking, is really what's happening here, this is my dearly loved son, my beloved son. Listen to him, Peter, <laughs> right? And he's like, Peter's talking, and God shows up, and he's like, Peter, hey, z- zip it. That's my son. You listen to him. Listen to him. Moses, an amazing man of God. 
Amazing man of God. Did wonderful things for the Lord. Absolutely. Amazing. Just a man. Elijah, tremendous prophet of God. Amazing prophet of God. Did all these miracles, eight miracles, amazing kind of miracles. Just a guy. Just a man. Jesus, who is a man, but he's also God. He deserves all of our attention. In the end, you and I will wake up and realize sometimes he's the only one there, and he's the best one you want there. I love Moses. Moses isn't getting me into heaven. I love Elijah and how these two represent the Old Testament, right? The law and the prophets. I love that. I love the Old Testament. I love it. Absolutely love it. But I need Jesus. We don't throw away the Old Testament. We love the Old Testament. We teach through all of the Old Testament, even Leviticus. We will teach through Leviticus and all these books that a lot of guys are shying away from these days. They're like, that doesn't really apply. I beg to differ. I love the Old Testament. I love how the Old Testament points me to Jesus. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they all looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. Only Jesus with them. Cruise back down the mountain after this experience. They go back down the mountain. He told them not to tell anyone what had happened until they see the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So post-resurrection, that's when they can share the secret, which that's got to be like kind of brutal for these guys, right? They just experienced the most amazing thing ever. And he's like, hey, don't tell anybody, right? And they're like, oh, but we can rub this in those other disciples' faces, man. Like we got something on them. He's like, don't, don't say nothing, Right. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. They're like, what's he talking about, right? This resurrection from the dead. They still didn't get it, okay? They asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Because they just saw Elijah. They're like, hey, hold on. The teachers are telling us this. Jesus responds, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready, Yet why do the scriptures say the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? There's a better question, right? Because they're focused on this Elijah thing. Jesus is like, well, that's I'll answer that. But an even better question is, have you thought about what I've been telling you for the past week, right, about how I have to suffer and die for you? Jesus goes on to clarify, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. They're like, yeah, we just saw him. He's like, I'm not talking about that. He has already come. And they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures had predicted. Malachi 3, verse 1, Malachi 4, verse 5, talks about how a prophet would come to prepare the way of Jesus. John the Baptist was that prophet. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He was not Elijah. People asked him, are you Elijah? And he said, no. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He dressed like Elijah. I mean, down to the camel skin kind of thing and the black belt, and he's eating locusts and all this crazy stuff. He looked and sounded and ministered just like Elijah, but he was not Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah, and that fulfilled that prophecy. And this is who Jesus is talking about. Jesus would even tell his disciples, John came in the spirit of Elijah. He told them that before this story actually even happened. But he is also referencing the fact that Elijah will come, precede him before he comes back. And that's where, if you go through the book of Revelation, you hear about two witnesses that show up. Most people, and I would be one of them, believe that Elijah is one of those prophets. Number one, because he never died. And that is fulfillment of scripture, because that happens right before Jesus comes back. Okay? Who's the second guy? I have no idea. No clue. Some people say Moses, largely because of this story. And then there's some other guesses, and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Enoch, 
because he walked with God and was no more. He was raptured up, so he could be the other guy. And that's true. He could be. I don't know. I don't plan on being here when that happens. So I'm a pre-trib guy. I think I'm going to get raptured out of this before all that really goes down. But again, if I'm wrong on that, probably not disappointed because I know where I'm going. Okay. And one day we'll all know who those two guys are, you know, eventually. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, look, Elijah has already shown up and the people rejected him just like they're rejecting me. But he will come back. He will come again. And kind of answers their question revolving around that. But yet again, the point of it is the Messiah has got to suffer it and die. They've got to suffer and die. And this whole transfiguration thing, it just, again, it, it just highlights the fact that, man, Jesus came. He took on flesh. He's God in flesh to live a sinless, perfect life solely to be a sacrifice for you and for me. Like in this transfiguration, it's like the point of that is that he is who he claimed to be. And don't let anybody confuse you with saying like, well, he never claimed to be God. That's a lie. You just read through the Gospels and you see it. There's multiple occasions where Jesus made those claims that, no, I am. Even that statement, I am, is one of those proclamations. He's God who loved you so much, who loved me so much that he says, you know what? We're going to go on a rescue mission. They already had it planned out before we even existed. So we're going to go on a rescue mission. We're going to die for these people who are so rebellious, even the ones who absolutely despise everything that the gospel is about. We're going to die for them. We're going to die for them. And all our stories, the heroes never die for the villain. Never. But in Christianity, that's what makes it distinct. The hero, Jesus, died For us, the villains, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies. That's the beauty of this transfiguration. It's like this sneak peek of like, he is God in flesh. And what he revealed to them momentarily on the mountaintop is what you and I will see of him when he comes back. We will see that glorified Jesus shining bright. Read Revelation chapter one. It talks about how he will look with his hair shining bright and his robe is dazzling white and all that good stuff, man. That's the Jesus you and I will see. Still bearing the scars where the nails went through that medium nerve in his wrist and where they went through his ankle and then that where they pierced him on the side and all that blood and water came out. He will still have all of those scars, but he will be glorious. He'll be glorious. So, man, you want to follow Jesus. You want to surrender to Jesus. And there may be some suffering that comes along with that and all that good stuff, but can I just tell you that in the end, it's totally worth it. It is absolutely worth it to surrender your life to Jesus, to stop with the wrestling and the frustration, and you're never going to be good enough. You'll never be good enough. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He's done it. What you're trying to do in your own strength and willpower, he's already accomplished on the cross in this empty tomb. The best decision I ever made in my life was to surrender to Jesus. And I have no regrets of doing that 20 years ago. No regrets at all. It's been the most difficult thing I've ever done. It's been the most difficult thing I've ever done. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not all sunshine and roses and all that stuff. There have been mountaintop experiences, but I've lived in the valley. Our residency is in the valley. I love the mountaintop experiences. And I praise God when we get those. But the truth of it, I live in a valley. That's the realness of following Jesus. But that's where the fruit happens. Hope, hopeless, hopeless.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of you, babe.